0: I want to talk about awkward moments in this podcast. I'm not talking about you doing awkward moments and so you can relax just a little bit. It's not that dumb thing or silly thing that you did that you are embarrassed about. I want to talk about another kind of awkward moment when you are standing there and you have to respond to someone who does something that you don't like. And so when someone does something that you don't like, you have several options for which to choose. One of them is, and I don't recommend this, you can consent to what they said or, or what they did, and in that case, you will conform to them. You will be like them. Another option is that you can confront them or rebuke them, but I know that is full of all kinds of problems. Like, for example, you don't know them. They they are a stranger, or they are somebody that that you really crave approval from. And in fact, I had this maybe a couple of times in the last week where people have put on our forums that you know here is something that I should have said to a relative twenty years ago, but I never said it because I would I was afraid. And so you can conform to them and be like them. You can confront or rebuke them, or you can try to ignore ignore what just happened. Of course, when you try to ignore that awkward moment, it typically leads to a weird type of, of awkwardness and, and quietness. And so the temptations of fear and insecurity are strong when it's time to take a stand, and that's what I'm talking about in the podcast. When somebody does something that you don't like, I'm not talking about your pet preference. I'm not talking about your hobby horse. I'm talking about they do something immoral. They do something biblically wrong. And so here's the question for you in this episode. How do you respond when friends do things that make you uncomfortable? And that is the title of the podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. The title of the podcast. And the article, if you desire to read it, you can find it on our website. And here it is, Responding to Friends Who Do Things That Make You unhappy comfortable. There has been an ongoing discussion on our forums. In fact, we have several kinds of forums on our website. We have free forums that's open to anybody in the world who has access to the internet. These forums are provided by you, uh, provided for you by the folks who believe in and support our ministry. There's been a discussion there. There's also been a discussion on our private forum, These are the forums for those supporters. They have their own community where they can come and ask questions, but we have another type of forum too, and it's within our Mastermind room. We have Mastermind forums where our student body can come to talk in a more private setting about their training. I had someone just ask today, what is the cost of the uh, Mastermind training program? Well, this is not a a Bible study. It's not a free Bible study or a free discipleship course, and the reason for that is is because it is intensive training where we provide on-hands supervision. In fact, there are three of us that supervise our student body, and so there is a lot of labor involved, and that's why there's a cost for the Mastermind program. But in all three of these venues, the free forums, the private forums for our supporters, the mastermind forums for our student body. There has been this ongoing discussion between the difference, the differences between empathy and sympathy. Now, the reason for that is there was an article that I uh, posted a couple of weeks ago and it has a lot of legs because it is still living and breathing, and people are talking about it. In fact, I received an email this week from a counseling center in Florida who who said that uh, article has had a huge impact on this person's life and so we're getting uh, people responding to that from all over the place now I'm not going to recreate that article on empathy and sympathy in this podcast it's here it's linked here as a matter of fact I do encourage you to read it the title of it is the destructive force of empathy and why you need to know but one of our forum responders says uh, said if fact, a couple of them said, would you keep talking about this? Because I need to understand how this works out in practical life. Empathy, accurately described, and this is how I talked about it uh, in that particular article and podcast, empathy is the person who jumps into the water to rescue the person, meaning empathy is a bad thing. And so, you know, people talk about, well, you need to understand me. You need to enter into my pain. I understand kind of what they're saying, but it is also problematic. And because literally, literally, the word empathy means it's like you jumping in the water to rescue a person. And any person who has any individual who has had any lifeguard training will tell you that you don't do that as a first recourse. You want to be sympathetic sympathetic is a more reliable rescuer, and they are not jumping in the water where both of the people drown, but the sympathetic person stands on the boat and tosses a life preserver into the water so that both people can survive. And if you don't understand the difference practically between empathy and sympathy, you will find yourself getting entangled in the messes of people and it will cause all sorts of problems for you. And it takes a lot of courage, a lot of strength, a lot of repentance of fear uh, to be able to stand outside of the person's problem, but yet be, be sympathetic, but yet you want to be a reliable rescuer. And so this podcast and this article that I'm sharing with you, it is another illustration of this idea. You have someone who does something in front of you that is immoral biblically wrong it is it, something that bothers you it makes you uncomfortable and either you you're empathetic in the way that you define that and you jump in with them and it, there's no redemption at all or you take a stand you're sympathetic and you do something redemptive redemptive for them to help them and hopefully restore the relationship. But people tempted toward insecurity and ignorance tend to be empathetic because they are fearful of doing the hard thing in relationships or they don't know the right response. And so when I use the word ignorance, I'm not being uncharitable and unkind. I'm talking about a lack of awareness. As I say, I'm ignorant when it comes to laying brick. It doesn't mean that I'm dumb. It doesn't mean that I'm uneducated. I'm not saying that about you. I'm just saying that I don't know how to lay brick. And if you don't know how, to be sympathetic, and you're tempted toward empathy, where you take a weak stand, you will not help the relationship, and to people who are tempted toward, one, insecurity, or two, ignorance, a lack of training, they tend to be empathetic. Now, the ignorance issue is more common to overcome. It's easier to overcome because you can educate yourself. I trust that this podcast will go a long way in educating yourself about how to be sympathetic toward people who do awkward things in front of you so that you can rescue the drowning person. But insecurity, now that's another matter. Insecurity is partially an education problem, but there are deeper, hidden, and entangling idolatries of the heart that capture the insecure person, and so it takes a little bit more work to overcome insecurity. The weak, insecure person who craves on people's acceptance or craves their approval, what they will do is they will compromise the spirit's illuminating insight into their lives because of their fear. They don't want to go through the ordeal of the drama because they are afraid of disappointing the person, and so they take an empathetic uh, stance, posture. They may frame it like this. Well, I just don't want to hurt their feelings. Now what I want to do to you do for you is I want to paint four different scenes where A weak person may succumb to the temptation of jumping into the water with their friends rather than standing in the position of strength on the boat that could lead to their rescue. Now, these common scenarios that I'm going to share with you, they happen every day, and and it would benefit you. If you jotted down, after I share these, you'll get the idea of, of what I'm illustrating, and you can jot down a few of your most recent relational encounters so you can assess yourself. Are you more of a sympathetic rescuer, or are you an empathetic culprit in your relationships? And so these scenarios might not apply to you, but as you listen, I'm sure you can think about people within your own family dynamic or your extended family or maybe your work relationships or church relationships where there are these uncomfortable, awkward moments where you have to make a decision. I'm going to take a stand for Christ. I'm not going to be harsh or uncharitable, but I'm going to stand for Christ, or I'm going to jump in and and just make a mess of the whole thing. Scene number one, two men are at a water fountain in the office you walk up and the conversation changes because you walked up now the temptation here is to reshape yourself into a person who's more likable according to your f- friend's preferences rather than being the person that God wants you to be see it's two people who are you know having a a, a let's just say an immoral conversation and you walk up and they know that you are a believer and so they change the conversation and you know what just happened there. It's because you walked up it's because of your stated position as a Christian that they change the conversation and the temptation could be that you want well I want to fit in. I want to be part of the fun. They always change, they change the conversation when I come, and it takes on a whole different flavor, and the temptation could be to reshape yourself into a person who is, quote, more likable according to your friend's preferences. Scene number two, it's another Thanksgiving. The family gathers around the table, and you are the designated prayer. Again, rather than seizing the moment by embracing the role of the outsider, you're embarrassed by being the representative Christian at these annual family gatherings. Some people look at these gatherings with dread because they are the only Christian in the family. This family never prays throughout the this extended family never prays throughout the entire year. And here it is, Thanksgiving, and there's this awkward moment. You're in the room Hey, Biff, would you pray for us? You are the designated prayer. Rather than seize the moment by embracing the role of an outsider, you're embarrassed. Scene number three. Your buddy comes to you with a joke. The joke is funny, but it's sexually coarse. Though there is a temptation to laugh, in this case you choose not to yield. You do embrace the role of an outsider. And you rebuke your soul. You don't jump into the water with your drowning friend. You're sympathetic, not empathetic. I'll give you the fourth illustration in just a moment. But in these three scenarios, your relationship with Christ not only defines how you relate to your friends, but it could change how you Relate to them, which is the temptation. Your friends enjoy each other, and you're the outsider. When they are together, they have a blast, but none of them speak into each other's lives in such a way that matures them into Christ's likeness, even though they say they are Christians. The difference between you and them is not that you enjoy fun less than they do, but they enjoy, but you enjoy growing in your walk with Christ more. You love fun, but you enjoy growing in your walk with Christ more, and so you choose not to jump in the water and drown in those awkward moments. You would love nothing more than to see their relationship in Christ mature. But you are well aware that Christ is not preeminent in their lives. This perception is not an uncharitable judgment. You're not making a harsh assessment of them, but it is an objective reality based on years of association with them. You didn't just meet them. You've known them for a long time, and this is who they are. Now, here's the fourth scenario. Your friends plan a camping trip, or maybe they're going to attend a ball game. Perhaps they decide they're going to have a night out of eating and fun, and you're not on their short list of invitees. Ironically, when they want to talk about Christ, when they need advice, or when they are in trouble, guess what? Who do they see? Who are they going to call? They come to you. You're the representative Christian at the Thanksgiving meal. You're the designated hitter who serves only one purpose in their lives. The struggle you have is whether or not you should give in and jump in the water with them. Perhaps you're thinking, hey, I like to have fun too but you're not on their fun shortlist. Even though you're on their sanctification shortlist, which shortlist do you want to be on? The fun one where when they're going out and having a raucous time that they want to call you first? Or do you, would you rather be on the, their sanctification shortlist when their wives leave or they're having some other disappointment in their lives and they call you? I trust you want to be on their sanctification shortlist more than their fun short list, it would be natural to become bitter about how your friends use you. I mean, that's one way to think about it. They're just using you. Maybe you're feeling insecure because they are not approving you the way you want their acceptance. While you long to be just one of the guys, you know it can't happen unless you decelerate your passion for the gospel now, when I say decelerate your passion for the gospel, I'm not talking about the super snob religious person. That does not describe you. You see, in the Christian world, you're average, but the average Christian is is much smaller. Being an average Christian is a smaller group of people than the lukewarm, lukewarm fun ones that make up the larger Christian experience. You're in that minority of people. You're really just average but being an average norm, I'm talking about being a normal Christian, being a normal Christian puts you in the minority. You have this larger Christian community that is lukewarm, but then on the other side of the road, you have the holier-than-thou people, those people who are socially awkward because of their arrogance, or maybe it's not their arrogance. Maybe they use their Christianity like a shield to keep from social engagement. There are a lot of weird Christians who are insecure and fearful, and they use Christianity like a barrier to hide behind because they don't know how to engage socially with other people. In their case, it's not an authentic Christian experience, but a weird person who uses Christianity to separate themselves from things that make them uncomfortable. Thus what you have is three types of Christians. You have the worldly part-time believer, I'm describing as the fun ones. You have the holier than thou, super snob believer, and then you have the average Christian, an authentic 24-7, believer, that's you. Unfortunately, in much of Christianity, what we typically see as healthy, it becomes the normal. And when we meet a genuine Christian like you, who defines their life by the Bible, they seem like super-Christians, when in reality they are the normal ones. True Christianity resides somewhere between those who pick and choose when they want to be Christian, that's the part-time believer, or the super bros, the super bros who who reek with arrogance and artificiality. These believers, the average ones, the genuine ones, they are genuine rescuers 24-7 and they are willing to do hard things, even if it puts them outside the camp. I use the language outside the camp. It's one of my favorite verses in Hebrews. It's 1313. 13. It's easy to remember. It says, therefore, let us go to him. Let us go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. I love that term, outside the camp. The average, genuine, authentic believers live a 24-7 Christian life, and they're willing to do the hard things. They're willing to put themselves outside the camp. But the temptation to bitterness and criticalness or insecurity, it is real, and it's inviting. Now, perhaps you're struggling. Maybe you're tired of living outside the camp. Maybe you want to be one of those part-time Christians that 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 has fun Maybe you're not interested in being the super snob, holier than thou, Christian. Maybe you've already fallen into the snare of wanting to fit into the crowd. You're hurt, you're bothered. You're the lonely outsider. your invisible God, as Moses talked about also in in Hebrews 11. your invisible God, seeing him who is invisible, it said of Moses, Well, maybe your invisible God is not holding sway over your heart now if this is true. It's time for a gospel checkup. The loneliness of the Christian life is real and sometimes acute. I'm speaking of the authentic Christian life, not the part-time one or the super-Christian one. The temptation to fit in can be powerful, and when it is, it's time to clarify what it means to be a believer in the Lord's service. Now, I want to give you, as I close out this podcast, a few clarifying truths of what it means to be a believer in the Lord's service. I want to share with you one, two, three, four, five things. Number one is suffering. Suffering is one of those clarifying truths that you need to recalibrate again. You are God's child, and you want to emulate the Savior as much as possible. You hope that your life personifies the life of Christ and that His name is made great through your humble submission to Him. Now, if that is your desire, the first point of reorientation to the gospel is to remind yourself that your path is inalterably a path of suffering— If that is your desire, then you've got to come to terms with your life is a path of suffering. Number two, personality. Before confronting your friends, be sure to examine your heart accurately. Examine your personality. I mean, you want to be with the fun people? Well, here's a question for you. Are you boring? No, really. Are you boring? Do you hide your insecurity by being religiously different? I was talking about this earlier. Some Christians hide behind a religious facade as a way of protecting themselves because they're boring people, they're insecure, and they're socially awkward, and they don't know how to engage people normally. The temptation would be to blame your peculiarities on Christ. Ask a friend who will be honest with you, how you engage your culture, your friends, how you engage other Christians. And so before you confront them, examine your heart, your personality I'm talking about specifically. Maybe there is something wrong with you. And so reclarifying yourself, suffering, Inalterably, you, you, the Christian life is inalterably a path of suffering. Number two, personality. Before you confront, examine yourself. Maybe you are a boring person who's insecure and, and socially awkward. Number three, relevant are you relevant? Christ fitted in very well with his culture. He lived with them. He ate with them. He lounged with them. He conversed with his culture. He hung out with a lot of pagans. He did this without compromising his, his higher calling. You can and you should mingle with the world as Jesus did, and you can do this without compromising the progress Of the gospel in your life. Examine this idea of suffering. Examine your personality. Examine this idea of relevance. And then number four, fun. Fun. Fun is not a bad thing. Nobody should have more fun than Christians. If the world is having more fun than you, or if they're laughing harder than you, then you desperately need a gospel reorientation. You see, the Savior resolved your most significant problem in life by his execution, his resurrection, and his ascension. The culture's most significant issue has not found what you possess. The wrath of God abides on them right now, present tense. And if they're laughing harder, if they're having more fun, and they're under the wrath of God, what's wrong with you? I'm not talking about being silly. I'm not talking about a lack of self-control. I'm not talking about a lack of discretion. But there should be a joy. And I'm not even going to get into the semantic, ignorant wordsmithing here, Christians. Well, you know, we're we're not about happiness. We're about joy. Don't be so anal. No, joy, happiness, fun. Your greatest problem in life has been resolved at the cross. And then number five, and it probably can go right on the heels of this idea of fun, relax. Maybe you need to loosen up a bit. Perhaps you need to let your hair down. I can't do that. I used to when I was 15, when it was down my back. But maybe you can let your hair down, and maybe you should. By all means, make sure the reason they don't want to hang with you is because of Christ, not because you're boring, not because you're self-important, not because you're a religious snob. If people reject you, let it be because of the gospel and not by your personality, not by your preferences, not by your peculiarities. Let's say that you are pursuing humility while engaging Relevant, winsome, and hospitable. You are engaging, relevant, winsome, and hospitable. But you're not compromising the progress of the gospel. If this is true of you, then the issue may not be with you. It could be that your life shines too brightly, and your friends prefer something a little darker. Worldly friends do not discourage your worldly friends when it comes to worldliness, because worldliness is what they enjoy. But if your authentic passion for Jesus is not what they want, you have to decide if you wish to wallow in their shallowness or feast on Christ's riches. This decision is a predetermined one. What I mean by that is that you have to know where the lines are before you find yourself in those awkward moments. If you don't settle this in your soul right now— When those times of temptation come, you probably will jump in the water with them. If you are discouraging your friends because of your authentic, not artificial, but authentic, not manipulative, but authentic passion for Christ, you'll have to decide how and at what level you want to be friends with them. Because you already know where the lines are, there should not be any surprises Let their lifestyle choices help you to make your decisions. Christ predetermined what his role would be before he came to earth. He knew what he was about. He predetermined. There were no surprises. If your friends are going to behave worldly, you decide right now where you are going to stand. Draw the line and how you will relate to them Please don't wait until the time of temptation comes, or you may compromise the progress of the gospel in your life and in theirs. Do like Moses, consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Don't expect them to permit you to play in all their reindeer games, because if you are an authentic representative of Christ. You probably are going to live outside the camp. It is a sacrifice for Christ that you will have to make. Even Christ had limits regarding engagement with those who had more passion for the world than they did of him. He would not discourage others by saying what needed to be said. Oh, I'm sorry. He would discourage others. Sometimes he would discourage others by saying what needed to be said rather than to consent to their fun. Now, I have several call-to-action questions that go along with this podcast. The title of the podcast is Responding to Friends Who Do Things That Make You Uncomfortable. I'm on the heels of the article that distinguishes between empathy and sympathy. You don't want to be the empathetic person where you're jumping into the water, compromising your faith, doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. You want to be the sympathetic rescuer standing on the boat. Sometimes you will find yourself in those awkward scenarios where people will do things where you will have to decide. It's imperative that you predetermine now where you're going to stand. Let your authentic faith be the light that shines in their lives. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.